0: Hi everyone, this is State Sponsored Programming, and today we're going to be discussing some of the progressive themes in Kate Chopin's The Awakening, and connecting it to some of the fun- feminist undercurrents in the current political sphere. I'm Sophie Dasco.
1: I'm Will Bly Sath.
0: And I'm Catherine Bepway. Alright, so to kick us off here, in Kate Chopin's The Awakening, the main character, Edna, goes through this sort of Bildungsroman, where she realizes that she... In and of herself can be an individual. And in this Victorian time period where the piece is set, that's not a common thing. So, throughout the novel, she searches from, for independence from her husband through having affairs with other people, through leaving her children behind, and for, through basically throwing out all the accepted Victorian ideals. So this sort of progressive feminism is still seen in our culture today. We have a lot of things going on with the Me Too movement. Currently, we are dealing with the Kavanaugh hearings. So these themes have never really gone away. And from the 1800s to now, they've still been very present. So,
1: and even strengthened in a sense. And yeah.
0: even strengthened in a sense, absolutely. So most, without a doubt, they've been strengthened. So let's kind of discuss some of those more feminist ideals, Catherine, what's your opinion on The Awakening as, as a whole?
2: Um, I actually really love the book. I connected a lot to, because I'm a big fan of Ayn Rand, um, and her kind of objectivist principles that you need to make yourself happy before anything else, and Edna kind of realized it was her first duty to make herself happy, um, and really one, of the, another objective principle is really, really not to, I guess, uh, sacrifice who you are and your integrity for, like, others, which, like, it's fine if you're, like, like, helping someone and sacrificing, like, your time. But if you're to sacrifice your integrity and who you are, um, that goes against, like, the philosophy. And I think Edna kind of, like, becomes awakened. <laughs> really? Oh my uh, gosh, she becomes that. awakened? Oh my yeah. god,
0: that's, that's a real plot twist right there. Um, I would completely agree with that, and I would completely agree that that's a very important ideology that we, not necessarily the ideology, a very important theme that we still have going on today. We have this idea that people should be awakened and they should not follow cultural norms and they should not be put into a box or stuck in a niche. They should be their own individual human being. And this movement really did start when Kate Chopin wrote The Awakening in when? 18, no, 19, when Kate Chopin wrote The Awakening in 1904. She, it was kind of very progressive and a lot of male writers threw it out, Yeah.
2: Yeah. There are a lot of male critics that I know shot it down, and me and uh, teacher Mr. Sonina were discussing this earlier. Uh, spoiler alert, not commit suicide in the end. <laughs> but um, we were discussing whether or not it would have had the same outrage as um, like it did from the male critics, whether or not she had not committed suicide at the end. So I was just wondering what your like opinions would be.
1: Well, should I talk about my opinions about the book for a little bit, or... <laughs>
0: Go, yeah, go emphasis, for it out, well.
2: emphasis on a little bit. Let's oh, see we only have
1: Kevin one man in the podcast right now. Which is so. William Blysteth. Hello. So, <laughs> here, here's my opinion. Just to sum it up. So, in terms of the book as a piece of literature, I can recognize when good literary techniques are used and when they're not used. So, in terms of it being a piece of literature, it's very well written. There's a lot of different literary techniques used, and I can recognize that. And I think... Um, in terms of the, the author trying to illustrate her theme, she did a very good job of doing that. Um, in terms of the themes themselves, I wasn't a really big fan of a lot of the different themes and ideas, mainly because of I'm a pretty big believer in personal responsibility. And we can talk about, I think all three of us you know, are pretty big believers in individualism, but I think at the same time, when you're in the position of being a mother, or a father for that matter, you have... Sort of obligations. You can't just you can't just ditch your kids and say, "Oh, I want to be happy," because they they are connected to you. They're your children. You you chose to conceive them, uh, and and that's that. So you have you have some sort of responsibility to them. You can't just leave your kids your leave your kids. Well, to Edna starve.
2: was not really in the society and culture she was in. Birth control wasn't allowed, so she wouldn't even like even if she hadn't won kids and she didn't want it and um leon say had agreed that he didn't want kids there was no possible way that she could have prevented getting pregnant and at the same time the society that she was in pressured her to have kids anyway
1: well at the same time though even let's say two people have children and it was unplanned but they just, let's just say for this scenario both of them decide to keep it but they later they later regret it you still have children nonetheless and you still have a responsibility to them if you have kids you have to take care of them for and by the way for both the male and the female this isn't just to one or the other and i think that if we were to take the book and we were to completely swap the genders and edna would be a male name and so it was the same thing the father completely ditches their his kids and tries to go off in his own sense of awakening and you could you can even argue that you know males at that time were expected to be providers and were protect expected to be you know there in the home as well providing and it, and if they were to leave then i think oh, at least for at least for me i would say dude what the heck you have responsibility to your family and your children own up and you can't simply leave you, you can't simply just leave your kids because they can't Fend for themselves. Well,
2: here's the thing, um, Leon say in the actual book, he had already been abandoning basically. Yeah, and Anna, he, would, and and he would, the kids That was anyway. awful, by the
1: way. So he was a bad character as as well as Enna.
2: Yeah, but then that kind of disproves your point.
1: My point, my point is, I thought that, I think that he, she, per, the author, portrayed. Leonce well as a as sense of a deadbeat dad, but in terms of her, it, plus the book kind of focuses on Edna as the main character, so this is who we're dealing with, but yes, I I, I think she did a decent job of, of, in that regard, of portraying Leonce as a dad who doesn't take responsibility. However, in terms of Edna, the whole theme of the book is that she is abandoning all, se- all sense of responsibilities, all sense of everything, and to go into her own feminist awakening and I say listen okay be an individual you have that freedom but the moment that you have kids you have responsibility them. you can't just ditch your kids you have to you have you have to take care of them that's what it comes out to for both the father and the mother but well, I think we're just, we're talking in circles all right so, so if let's I, let's if move I can, on a little bit but what, do you, what if do you I want can say cut in if
0: I can cut in I agree with both of you I agree that with, with you, William, that when you have kids, if you, ever, if you ever have kids, if someone chooses to have kids, then they are no longer completely and utterly free. They do have a responsibility to these little subservient beings who completely depend on them. But I also agree with Catherine. On some level, you need to do what's best for yourself in the long run, and you can't keep putting other people before yourself, otherwise you're eventually going to absolutely wreck yourself. But at the same time, from a feminist perspective, the novel in and of itself was revolutionary. People were throwing out, people were saying, this shouldn't be a lot, this is absolute blasphemy. But at the same time, it was proven to be a very important work because it set forth this idea that women in and of themselves can be individuals and they can be active members of society and they can change things. So my question to the both of you is not necessarily about the character of Edna, but the response that the book had, the way society responded to the work. How do you think that the progressive feminist movement can be drawn back to the ideals portrayed in The Awakening?
2: Um, well, I know that the feminist re- like revolution, world, well, first of all, The Awakening was kind of, it was hated by the critics and it was kind of, like, denounced as, like, like I guess, blasphemy, almost. So it wasn't picked up again until, like, the feminist revolution, until, like, the 1960s. But, um... It kind of ties back to the book, whereas Edna realizes that she's trapped in this box, that society's conformed to her. And through the 50s, uh, and, like, 40s and everything before that, the feminist, like, the feminine, I guess, ideal body was, uh um, like, very curvy, I guess. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with this, but... (laughs) But anyway, like, society before that had pressured women anyway, and it wasn't until the 60s, 70s, like, uh, 80s, around
0: then, that women started to realize that they are in this box. Right, and they can be their own, like, individual human beings. And even in the book... Edna, who is this character that is finding her own awakening, as she goes through this process of becoming an individual, she's described as progressively more ugly, whereas Adele, who's this ideal female character, is described as the most beautiful one in the play, the one everyone wants to look at, the one everyone wants to be, and that was very typical for women of the time, people were expected to act a certain way, you were expected to save face. Um, the period in which the book takes place is called the Gilded Age, and you see so many gilded characters in this, where they're saving face. They're putting up a show for everyone around them. They're conforming to these societal ideals. But in reality, everything up, up, everything underneath that, everything that makes them up, is ugly. So what do you think about that? How did that change after this book came out? How did that change as a result of the feminist movement?
1: Well, I think the thing is, is with The Awakening, is I think that the fe- The feminist movement started late, in a sense. Well, okay, there were different feminist movements. So you had the, you know, the the Nineteenth Amendment that was put in place at around, I think, I think, what was it, 1912?
2: 1920.
1: Nine- oh, no, I'm sorry, nineteen twenty. I'm way off. So you you kind of have that movement of different types of feminism, whether it be the suffraget su- suffragettes or
0: suffragettes.
1: Suffragettes. Thank you or movements in the 60s, 70s, first wave, second wave, third wave, there's a lot of different types. Uh, I think that with something that was beneficial about the feminist movement, which I think Kate Chopin's book was kind of an inspiration of, but was also kind of happening alongside it. So I think it was like one example of like the culmination of the kind of feminist movement in general is that it did promote a sense of individualism for women, which is really cool. And I and I just think that in general, you know, people should be in a free society, people should be allowed to be their own individuals. But as I stated before, the moment that you enter into certain responsibilities or obligations, i.e. having children, then things become a little bit different. But in so but yeah, and I think that another Interesting discussion to have is, you know, has that sense of have has that movement gone a little bit too far and in a little bit of an opposite direction in the modern day, so yeah.
0: I'm not sure how to respond to that one. What do you yeah, mean? So are you? Do you think the progressive? He said, do "You basically what he's asking is, do you think the progressive feminist movement has gone too far in modern day? What do you think about that, Catherine?"
2: Um, I really don't like this third wave, I guess. Well, I shouldn't say don't like. Um, I just think, yeah, I agree. They're pushing a bit too far. I disagree that there's a, um, a gender wage gap. Um, but no doubt, like, you can look from even 40, 50 years ago, they didn't install women's sports until, like, I think the 80s or the 90s. And, like, think about that. That's, like, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Like, it's crazy to think that women of that generation had pushed that hard and that far to be where we, like, we are now. So, I mean, like, to discredit the feminist movement by saying that these third-wave feminists are just, um, overly sensitive, it's... I don't know how to put it, but it disrespects, I guess, and it kind of shadows and covers over the hard work that women have been putting in for, like, the last centuries.
0: I agree with Catherine, And I think that that's completely 100% true. You have all of these women that were so eloquent and worked so hard to give us these rights, and then you'll have people that are third-wave feminists turn around and say, women have no rights, and women are completely subservient to men, and that is in absolutely no way, shape, or form true. Especially in this country. If you go to countries overseas, take, for example, some countries... We'll say overseas, I don't want to, like... But... You will definitely find places where women are, without a shadow of a doubt, have no rights and are completely subservient to men. I think it's ignorant for people to say women are completely subservient, women don't have a place, women don't matter, because that is not true. And I think that that ties very well into something else that I wanted to discuss today, which is the very progressive feminism, which is the Me Too movement. So right now, we have hearings going on because Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh has been accused of sexually assaulting a woman while they were both in high school. having these charges brought up 40 years later seems a bit preposterous to some people it seems absolutely that this was no egregious fault committed on behalf of mr kavanaugh doesn't even necessarily we don't even necessarily know if it happened so what is what are some things that we can kind of discuss here where on what level has the progressive feminist movement brought about this change do you know what i mean like how can we link the progressive feminist movement and the me too movement can
1: i talk a little bit about the me too movement so I'm not trying to play any sort of victim card whatsoever, but I think that's something that's becoming, that's kind of sad that's starting to happen is in college campuses, you're seeing seeing a lot of instances where there are sexual assault allegations that are completely false and that the males involved are just, their lives are absolutely completely ruined for allegations that are proved false. And I think that with any with any charge we essentially just have to look at the evidence and determine it from there so for example with Roy Moore the evidence that he committed sexual assault is is very the evidence is very good there's there's multiple there are multiple um eyewitness accounts they link up together there's times there's places etc but I think with the Kavanaugh hearings we kind of have one story that actually from the I think there was some, some documents from her talking to a um, psychiatrist, which she released, that she essentially said in in her news story, there's two people involved, but now she said, she said it was three. So you have varying accounts. And so I think with this, we're just going to have to see the evidence, but I I don't think we should blame Kavanaugh for anything until the proper evidence goes out because there are, are many instances where people's lives are absolutely ruined on allegations that are absolutely
2: false. Well, I 100% agree with you, but when you take, like, 100 rape cases, um, only 2 out of those 100 are falsely accused. So I feel like you're kind of making it happen, or you're kind of portraying that these false rape allegations happen more often than they do. If you were to look at, like, police reports... I can guarantee you that almost all are going to be actual rape cases.
1: The, the even though even though that's true though again I'm saying it depends on the case and that there's there's instances with this Me Too movement where there have been false allegations. And and that's all I'm saying. Just because just because it's rare doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And well, there are, I many, agree. And I there
2: are think... many and there and there any and
1: there are many instances where it does or that there are allegations made that don't even, that don't really come to trial. And let me, let me repeat myself because I don't want anyone to misinterpret my view. For anyone who, I think this is obvious, but for anyone where this kind of assault or whatever actually does happen, then go, go to the police and try to and get as much evidence as possible because people who are actually victims of, of sexual assault, that their perpetrators deserve to be punished. But I'm, my only point is is that I've just been seeing this growing sense where th- this kind of growing culture where when it comes to this, that if there's an allegation made, you have to automatically believe it when re- when really it's more about it, it, you just have to look at the evidence
0: at hand. So, Catherine, I have a question for you. What do you think about a powerful male figure being able to or being... What do you think about a powerful male figure possibly losing his job just because of an allegation of sexual assault?
2: Oh, I totally think it's it's wrong. That uh, you should definitely look at the evidence, but the way Will was portraying, and I kind of picked up on that he was making it seem as though it's more often false rape allegations.
1: That's I I I'm really which, sorry. I didn't mean to say that. That was not what I tried to come across as. So okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> but right. I didn't mean. I, that was not my intention.
2: No, but I hundred percent agree. Like like agree like like to ruin someone's career like out of something that may be a rumor it's like that that's bad like (laughs) like no doubt and I do think that that's why we have trials and we have a law system to prove that but um and a lot of times in the media sometimes people do that uh accuse it for like someone of ...political reasons or for money... Yeah. ...but when you look at real-life situations... ...and how often... Um, ...like, false... ...rape allegations happen... ...it's, like, not nearly... ...on a scale that we're seeing in the media right now.
0: Absolutely, and I think that that's something that's very important to consider... ...especially when we're talking about Brett Kavanaugh... ...and so many of these other very prolific men... ...who have been accused of sexual assault... ...or other acts of sexual nature... ...that they're being prosecuted for, like Bill Cosby... ...um... I think that it's very important to kind of remember that in this country, you are innocent until you are proven guilty. And again, as Carolyn stated, it's not right for someone to lose their job simply because of an allegation. Now, if the allegation is proven, should they be removed from office if they're holding a political office? Absolutely. That's, you know, that, there's no, really no no real question about that. It is a crime. But specifically regarding Brett Kavanaugh, I think that the details of that case are very sketchy. And I know that my compatriots here may not necessarily be so into obsessive compulsively listening to the news as I, but at the same time, I think that since it's, it's being made out to be something that's very high profile, and you have the sentencing of Bill Cosby, you mentioned Ray Moore, so there's a lot of things going on with this in the media right now, especially regards to Me Too, so it does deserve some amount of attention. So another question that I want to throw out is, we have, we see a lot of this in the media. Catherine mentioned the actual statistics of rape versus what we see in the media. The media has kind of overinflated it to be this sort of, you're just making accusations kind of a deal. So how, on on what level do you think that impacts the feminist movement? On what level do you think these kind of media, massive blown out media coverages of these sexual assault cases affect and empower feminism?
2: I think that no doubt the media is 100% hurting the feminist movement. And it's, uh, I'd say that these third wave feminists, with they like their intentions, a lot of the time aren't good. They're politically motivated to, like, out to destroy like the opposite party. I'd say like a lot of the time th- that we see in the news, and I think that kind of discredits. Where you look at India, and child marriages are still legal. You look at Iran. I don't know now, but women weren't allowed to drive. They may still not be allowed to drive. Why allowed in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, where it's. It's insane how limited the rights of women are, and I think that we should more um gear ourselves towards that because in America, I don't really believe in the wage gap, and personally i like I feel as though I'm treated fairly and uh so maybe do it's I. because like <laughs> we're like like upper middle class white women, yeah, but at the same time, we can't uh. Uh, we really can't compare ourselves to the people in other countries. And I
0: think that we make broad generalizations when we talk about feminist movement and include all women. Catherine makes a great point. Her and I, you and I, are upper-middle-class white women. Like, we don't have the same experiences as, as an African-American woman in the Bronx. So that's something that's worth mentioning as well. And I completely agree that the media can do far more to the detriment of the feminist movement than it does to aid the feminist movement. Well, what's your opinion on that?
1: I mean, I think I basically... Agree, with everything you guys are saying. I think there's just a lot of very misleading claims. I've I've heard um, some people in the media say that in America, women are oppressed. And I, I just, even though, again, I only have my own experiences just looking at the data, especially when it, Catherine mentioned the wage gap. When you, for example, when you when you take into account all factors such as occupation, hours worked, n- need for flexibility and schedule, etc., the wage gap dissipates into nothing. So we. Wait,
0: I do have a question regarding that, though. There are documented cases of female because you also have such a thing as. What's it called when like you're? Discrimination. Not allowed, no, no, no. When you're not allowed to look at each other's wages, like you're not allowed to discuss that. You know that's a, that's called?
1: illegal. That's a you that that's a, that practice is illegal. Like, you, you, your your employer has to let you look at other people's paychecks. That's more is of a social thing, statement.
2: Recent I think that's
0: because of the feminist movement. Yeah, which right.
1: is yeah, which is, which is is good. But, because
0: before then, you weren't supposed to be discussing your paychecks with other people, which I guess on some level makes sense because, you know, you have a right to privacy. But female employees were starting to find out basically by accident that they were working the same amount of hours at the same jobs as their male compatriots and were still being... Paid less, so I think from that, Catherine, like Catherine says, has sprung the need that you're supposed to be sharing the amount. Like you can't hide that anymore. Well,
1: yeah, I agree. But even even so, there's videos of Thomas Sowell in the '80s talking about the wage gap, and I think the I think the reason uh, a partial reason why the wage gap has been kind of decreasing in a sense is that. More women had made the choice to join the join the workforce and to work more hours, and I think, and I think when it comes to this sort of discrepancy that we're talking about, it's a free country. If a woman wants to work a lot of hours, and you know, go, good for her, do that. If she wants to not work a lot of hours, great. It, we're, we're, when we talk about the wage gap, we just have, we essentially just have to talk about the aggregate and generalities and so
2: there definitely was a wage gap like i just i thought about what i said there was definitely like no doubt a wage gap like you can even you could probably talk to my mom who's like a news reporter in the 80s and she was treated like pretty unfairly like compared to her like male counterparts but i think now when you take into account um just maternity leave and a lot of time sometimes the jobs that women do, like, such as, like, I'm a hostess, and then I don't get paid as much as the bus boys, but at the same time, half, half the time I'm working, I'm usually just sitting on my phone, so, like, like, that. like, when you think about that, too, you can take it into account, but, like, really, I'm, I'm really only talking from my perspective and what I've seen, so, like, take my opinion with, like, a grain of rice.
0: And I don't think that I wouldn't, you know, for the opinions of all three of us here, nobody's saying feminism is bad, and, like, women should be subordinate. Like, F- <laughs> like no one's saying that. Will's not saying that. I'm not saying that. Catherine's not saying that. But I think that it does... It is prudent to take a long, hard look at any radical movement from anyone. And the feminist movement has become pretty radical, and that's, you know, can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. I think that they have a tendency to take things a bit too far. I think that... With so many people having their potential to have their careers ruined based on an allegation of sexual assault or based on an allegation of, you know, misconduct or what have you, I think that's completely inappropriate because if you have a grudge against somebody, you don't like them, you don't like their political opinions, you can say, you know what, you sexually assaulted me, and then that's that. I think that's very, very wrong. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that the way that the feminist movement has progressed, the progress it has made for women in this country, I think that has that is a very has been a very good thing. Women can now serve in the military, of course, which I think is wonderful, since both Catherine and I want to join the service. So I think that that's something that's also important to mention that we have come so far. And as Catherine said, the predecessors of this movement have put in so much time and effort to make that an option for us young people, which I think is important to mention. So. Is there anything else we kind of want to discuss before we start to try and wrap this up a little bit? I'm Uh, good. I'm good. All right. So today we kind of discussed some of the progressive themes of feminism in Kate Chopin's the awakening. It's a very wonderful story. Highly recommend that you read it. Um, We also discussed some of the more modern feminist movements, such as Me Too. And that was today's episode of State Sponsored Programming. I'm Sophie Dasko.
1: I'm Will Blystath.
0: I'm Catherine Butler. Thank you for listening, everyone.